coming up on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. So being able to, you know, marry those two um, maybe opposite ideas that something has to be spiritual for, for something to give you a, a spiritual uh, awakening or something has to be quantitatively known precisely in order for you to be able to properly or safely take something. You know, again, it's going to be a marriage, a marriage of both. It's going to be a a little bit of, a little bit of science, a little bit of art. Mm. Uh, But data at the end of the day can help both the science and the art can help the research, help us find even greater insights in research that has been done or should be done in the future. And it can also help the practitioners, the artists that are guiding these people through these experiences to have the best experience that they possibly can. And I think that's what's so much fun about where I sit specifically, is I get to play with both. Welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, a weekly conversation series with leaders in psychedelic culture, designed for therapists, healers, retreat leaders, and passionate enthusiasts, presented by Maya and hosted by me, Eamon Armstrong. Psychedelic medicine is both a science and an art, and Oconee Anthony, co-founder of Maya Health, finds his joy at their intersection. On today's podcast, we discuss Akoni's personal relationship to psychedelics, including how he connected with his name. We talk about barriers to psychedelic healing for the Black community and what white healers need to understand to better serve people of color. We talk about measuring the ineffable and why we need to collect data about psychedelic experiences. Finally, Akoni emphasizes the importance of striking a balance between science and spirituality. Akoni is the co-founder and chief data officer of Maya Health, a psychedelic therapy software company that presents the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, which is what you are listening to right now. He previously worked in the cannabis sector, leading data for Baker Technologies. Akoni has also served as the chief technology officer at Realm of Caring, a nonprofit in cannabinoid education and research, helping over 55,000 families worldwide through observational data. Hi, Coney. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm feeling really excited to have this conversation with you. There's a lot that you know that I don't know in a field where I feel like I know a lot. And that's a really exciting place to start a conversation. I love psychedelics. I love the sweeping vistas of psychedelic visions. What I don't really understand is how one can collect the kind of data that could verify the efficacy of a healing experience through psychedelics. We work together at Maya, which supports the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. And it's interesting, I feel like you and I bring some really complementary perspectives to the table. And I've been really excited to just sharpen up my understanding of the metrics that we can use to measure the experience of healing, particularly in a space that is as ineffable as the psychedelic space. So all that is to say that I'm very excited to get an opportunity to talk to you today. So thanks for being on the show and, and thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, of course, anytime. So I learned recently that Akoni is not the name that you were given at birth. You've decided to change your name and I'd love to know a little bit about that. When did you decide that you wanted to change your name? Specifically, it was August 4th, uh, 2019. Wow, so pretty recently. Uh, very recently, yeah. Uh, well, you know, about 10 months ago. <laughs> and and wh- what made you decide to change your name and why, why at that time? So I, I chose the name Oconee 
really, I didn't even choose it. I mean, and that's the thing. I didn't choose it. We found each other. Ooh, I like that. We found each other. Um, at the beginning of my psychedelic journey, my real psychedelic journey, that's how I'll put it, you know, started about 18 months ago with realizing that psychedelics could actually do something with me with my first uh, DMT experience. And that opened me up to kind of like going through a list of things that have always been, you know, I'm an engineer, so I, I like making lists and checking them off and things like that. So I had a list of items I've always wanted to investigate. Things like, do I want to be a father? Do I want to be married? Things like changing my name. And after my first few DMT experiences, I decided or realized that I wasn't really going through that list in a way where I was accomplishing anything on that list, where I was actually learning anything from doing the items on that list or investigating the items on that list. So I just went, you know, I have this list. I'm going to go in order, just top down from, you know, first time I put it on that list to, you know, the, to now. And one of the earlier things on that list was, do I want to be a father? And I've always had this thing, if I wasn't married by 40, that I would adopt. How old are you now? 36. Yeah. And when, when I got to that point on the list, I went, well, there's not a whole bunch I can do right now, you know, other than maybe save financially or, you know, things like that. So I, I went down a rabbit hole of looking at baby names. And... I, I knew I wanted, if, if that was something I decided to do, that I would adopt a, a baby, 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 and it would be an African baby. And uh, so I, I started looking at names from areas where I traced back my lineage to, which would be that Northwestern African area, modern day Nigeria-ish. And just looking at names, I had this huge list of names, you know, 20, 25 names on my iPhone, actually, that I just had on a notepad. And, and, you know, I I just did a whole bunch of research and came up with this list of names and just had it there and just said, okay, you know, I'll I'll come back to this at some point. Fast forward probably about, you know, a, a few months after that was when I had my first ayahuasca experience. And it was the the morning after my most powerful and most meaningful psychedelic experience, at least to that point. And I had a friend ask me a question and it made me go to my phone and look at my notepad app. And I was scrolling through this app, looking for something for my friend. And I came across that baby name list again. And something from my experience the night before, I, I saw, I had been seen up to that point in repeated psychedelic experiences. The letters K, O, and H. Had no idea what it meant, but it was K, O, and H. And it, on the left and right sides, it was blurred. And I, I just could not see it. Something told me to click on that baby's name, that baby name list. So I had the name, the pronunciation, and the meaning, and then maybe the, the tribe or, or region that it came from. So when I clicked on that list, the first name on that list, the pronunciation was A-H dot K-O-H dot N-E-E. It was a Kone. And when I saw that K-O-H, with the left and the right, I, I just went, oh, oh shit. It, it, just, it just all made sense. Like my, my, my experiences were leading me to this name because it, it, it seemed like the, that K, that O and that H were, were almost like at a door that I had to go through and that I was repeatedly going through. So when I saw that, I just went, the door had my name on it. And that name is Sakoni. 
from then on, I just went, yep, that's it. There, there were a couple of other coincidences that cannot be coincidences in my mind. The second part being Anthony. The medicine that I was partaking in that, that weekend was from Hawaii. And the Akoni uh, in Hawaii is actually a, a nickname for Anakoni. And Anakoni in English is Anthony. Also, with that Anthony name, uh, back when I was younger, in my early 20s, when I first thought about changing my name, but, but didn't because it, it didn't come from that place of love that I felt something this big should come from. The only name, even back then, that felt right for some strange reason I could never put my finger on was Anthony. So I've, I mean, so this, this is a timeless thing for me. And that's why I kind of mentioned that, you know, Oconee feels like it's been my name the entire time. I, I, I was just awakened to it. And you mentioned this idea of kind of stepping through a doorway. Have you found, do you see yourself on the other side of a doorway now that you've taken that name? Do you see that as a symbolic threshold of your transformation? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I I preface all this by saying, you know, it wasn't the psychedelic experience that made me change my name. It was the psychedelic experience opened me to allow me to take that name for myself. And I think that's a really clear distinction. It's a, it's a distinction, I, a, a very fine line, but a distinction when I was explaining this to my parents, I, I really had to make, you know, uh, that this, this, this was in me the entire time. I was just blind to it. You mentioned that you had a desire to change your name when you were younger, but mm-hmm. you felt like it wasn't coming from love. What was, the, what was that like when you were younger and you were thinking about taking on a new name? Oh, it, it came from a lot of different things. In one way, the name that I had, I, I loved. Like my, my former full name. I absolutely loved that gift that my parents gave me. Unfortunately, a lot of people mispronounced that name <laughs> and it made me go by a nickname. Uh, so I, I've actually changed the name that I go by um, now a few times in my life. The first time I was 12, the day I met my still best friend and brother, we were both called Sean at the time and realized the day we met two things. One, we would be best friends forever, which I mean, 23 years later, we still are. And second, we both couldn't go by the same name because that would just be crazy having two Black mothers screaming out the same name and we wouldn't know exactly which one they were talking about. So so at that time, I just went, okay, I'll change my name. And I changed my name to, to Roy and or started going by Roy. And, and the main reason for that was not because I necessarily liked it, but really because I'd always been told at that point, you're so well-spoken. I don't think people realize just how much that hurt to be told that. But I decided even at the age of 12 that I, I realized where that came from. And I realized that there was maybe an opportunity that I could use that to my advantage. So, if you're going to tell me that I'm well-spoken, quote-unquote, for a Black boy, well, then I'm going to change my name to a white name. So maybe that might come to my advantage at some point in the future. And that's really where my mindset was at the age of 12. So when I got to my early 20s, it it was really a, a place of, you know, wanting to not have that association every time someone called my name. Because every time someone said Roy, it's like it, it brought me back in some little bitty way to that moment and the reason why I started going by it. And that really isn't a place of love or gratitude. And that 
does not fit who I am and what I want to exude. But at that time, there was just so much animosity and anger and and other stuff just at that time in my life that, as a mentor to me put it, why would you put a, a tattoo on your body that reminds you of something negative or that came from a place of negativity? And I went, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I shouldn't change my name right now if it's coming from a place of negativity. So mm. thankfully, I waited until it came purely from a place of love. And that synergy, I, I, I think, was um, it's another reason why it, it feels timeless for me. It's a beautiful journey um, of self-realization that you've just described and coming to this place where you're exuding love and you've claimed a name that, that really represents that to you. And it seems like psychedelics have been an important part of that journey for you. Would you say that's true? For sure. For sure. How did you first approach psychedelics in your life? I have always been interested in the mind, how the mind works, how we process information, how we consume information, how we release information. At heart, I am, a, I am definitely a transhumanist. I believe in the advancement of the human condition through medicine, science, and technology. And really through that interest and that pursuit led me to uh, trying different psychedelics and uh, trying different ways of expanding my mind and expanding my humanity through medicine, science, and technology. And do you have a favorite psychedelic? I feel like I Suicide. can guess, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And, and how old were you when you first uh, encountered psilocybin? And, and, and what was that experience like for you? I was 22. I think, yeah, I was about 22, 23 when I first um, experienced psilocybin. And, you know, it did not do anything for me at all. Really? Like no effect? And not much of an effect at all. And I mean, taking handfuls <laughs> of, of oh. yeah. But yeah, I, I was young, didn't really know much about set and setting uh, and the importance of that. Uh, so I, I, looking back now, I can definitely say, well, yeah, I, I could take 10 grams right now in that same set and setting and probably would not experience much that I would in a proper set and setting. So, yeah, I tried a bunch of different psychedelics and for a decade plus thought that I was, you know, maybe broken <laughs> in a way or something that, you know, uh, psychedelics just don't work for me, but they work for a lot of people. And I know that they can help a lot of people, but maybe just not for me. Um, about 18 months ago is when I finally had a, a breakthrough experience with um, psychedelics and realized that uh, there was much more for me to learn when it came to uh, taking psychedelics and, and the journey began. That's so interesting. I, I, what, what made you continue to explore psychedelics if they weren't having an effect on you? Again, just that, that exploration of the mind and, and how the mind works and, and how the mind changes over time. You know, I, I know that the mind grows and changes you know, almost second by second. So just because they did not work for me in my 20s doesn't mean they would not work for me in my 30s. Or just because they did not work for me in my 30s doesn't mean that I would not learn something new that would hold me back from them working for me now. Akoni, you and I in previous conversations have touched on the whiteness in the psychedelic community and mm -hmm. some of the barriers for psychedelic medicine in the black community especially. I'm curious... First of all, what you see as some of the barriers to approaching psychedelic medicine within the black community and whether, whether that applied to your life, whether you felt those limitations yourself when you were first exploring psychedelics. Yeah, psychedelics can be expensive. 
Mm. I mean, they, they can just be expensive. You know, I, I remember my first ayahuasca weekend was, I mean, it was around fourteen, fifteen hundred bucks for that weekend. That that isn't a price point that is accessible to a lot of people out there. And I am in that sense being a computer engineer and having, you know, having well-paying jobs for most of my professional career, you know, I I have that privilege of being able to save up and spend that type of money to take those types of weekend trips. So that has definitely been uh, from my, from the point of view of my friends and people who have wanted to try psychedelics, the monetary barrier has definitely been number one. Number two, and outside of the recreational sense of taking these plant medicines, you know, the spirituality uh, piece um, of it can also be a barrier if not approached correctly. And, and what I really mean by that is, The Black community is very uh, religious and and very conservative in in a lot of ways in those religious pleas. It takes a a little bit to break, to break the bond, or not even to break the bonds, but to allow people, to give people the space to expand on what they believe currently with the help of illegal substance uh, in this country. And that's crossing that barrier even with my closest friends has been has been difficult you know it's a difficult conversation to have to say you know hey if you you know there there are other ways that you could possibly address mental health issues uh, other than going to church or having more jesus in your life right and it, th- those are not uh, easy conversations especially with especially when uh, religion and spirituality is really at the core. I mean, the very, very core at what kept African-Americans uh, together and alive in a lot of cases, um, especially during slave times, especially during you know the civil rights movement in the 60s, especially when uh, there are so many external forces that are, that have uh, oppressed and pressed down on this community. Things like spirituality are, are things that can unite and bring people together. And you know, introducing other avenues to explore your spirituality when they are so, so deeply ingrained uh, in a culture. Right? And that, that, that can be a very hard conversation to have. Can you think of moments where you've had that conversation with friends of yours? And have you had experiences where you've presented the value of psychedelics for healing and for spiritual growth, where you've been able to convince someone that you care about that it really is worth exploring? I, I, I have in the past and have not been very successful uh, because... The first question that I'll get is, well, have psychedelics worked for you? How, you know, how have they, you know, improved your life? This and another. And until about 18 months ago, my answer is uh, no. (laughs) So, you know, it's hard to have that conversation, I guess, until you yourself have reaped the benefits, until the people around you can see the benefits for themselves. Now, when I have that conversation, it's extremely easy. People who have known me for years or decades, as it were, they can see the difference in me. They can hear the difference in me. And when I speak about psychedelics now, when I speak about spirituality now, when I speak about that, the type of help and expansion that it's given me, they can feel it now. They can see it now. Mm. And that mm. makes the conversation so much easier to have. And I wonder if you could share even a little more about that transformation because you're talking about awakening and something that it it blossomed fairly recently, 18 months ago, coming up to this place of choosing a name that really resonated for yourself about 10 months ago. A lot of this stuff feels really fresh. Um, If I was your friend and I'd known you for, well, I am your friend, but if (laughs) if if I'd known you for 10 years, what would I notice as different over these past 18 months? 
what would I what would I really pick up on him? Like a Connie, wow, you have aside from the name, because that definitely is different. Like <laughs> what what's different over these past these past 18 months? The changes that someone from that's known me for quite some time would would definitely realize are a calmness uh, and happiness within myself that I shared or showed at at certain times, but now I just radiate uh, that energy, uh, which is mm, just even thinking about it just makes makes me smile. Um, And really a a much more connected to my spirituality as well. Mm. That 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 is definitely something uh, that has changed within me, and I'm much more focused, much more driven, which is odd for me to say because 2008 I owned my own business. <laughs> um, to say I'm more driven now, but I am, and you know I'm I'm just I'm just overall just. I just have much more gratitude about the simple things in life, the little things in life. Mm, um, mm, moment, you know, the the moment by moment is just. I'm I'm able to really be present much more now uh, than I ever used to be, and I feel every single day I wake up, I'm just a little bit more present, a little bit more aware, and being able to see that, to feel that within me. That connectedness is something that I definitely do. I definitely do have, and I definitely do exude now much more than I used to. And that is something. That's something that's really, yeah, yeah. That's something that's really just uh, has been a, a great benefit for me. Hmm. And I feel in you, in sharing this now and in conversations that we've had, just a deep, deep passion to spread these medicines more widely, to make them more accessible, to, mm-hmm. um, to support others in having transformation like you've had. And I'm curious specifically about the role of, of data and information in that. My experiences with psychedelics have been very freewheeling and I'm just, I want to try it, I want to do it, I want to share it, I want to talk about it. But I never really think much about like measuring how, the, how different psychedelics might work, how they might affect people, uh, how we could optimize for the greatest possible wellness from these compounds. And you, of course, have a background as an engineer, you're a data guy, you are, you're passionate about geeking out about data. <laughs> Tell me, why do we need data around psychedelics? What's the value that, that, is, that that's going to add to be able to have aggregate data about psychedelic experiences? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, psychedelics have, I mean, as you know, have been around for hundreds and thousands of years at this point, right? And, and, and it's always been, you know, uh, either, you know, passed down from, you know, one person to another, the, the, the lessons and, and teachings that the psychedelics can bring, you know, from, you know, just generation to generation, from tribe to tribe or, or things like that, but never really quantitatively captured in a way where we could say definitively, if you take X, you will receive Y. If you take MDMA, you will feel more connected. If you take LSD, you will feel, if you take psilocybin, you will feel how you take psilocybin, right? Uh, set and setting is something that I mentioned before. So, Akoni, I, I know you love geeking out on data. You're an engineer. I've seen some of the visualizations that you have concocted. I mean, you really have a really beautiful spatial awareness of, of the way that, that different data points move and work with each other in a way that actually is quite psychedelic and quite vivid, um, at least for me as a, as a layman in these, in these realms. And I'm curious about the value that you see of collecting and aggregating data from psychedelic experiences. Why do we, why do we want to do that? Yeah, I mean, we, we want to do that because, uh, you know, at this point, we really 
quantitatively have very little insight into things like how a person's set and setting influence their psychedelic experience. We know it's important, but being able to specifically uh, hone in on that and, and measure how important uh, these things are could be um, a game changer. I mean, we could maybe figure out ways to stop people from having a quote-unquote bad trip, as it were. We could be able to possibly uh, find a way to recommend a proper dosing for proper situations, you know, things of that nature, you know. I know some people who four grams is all they need for a journey dose. For me, it's 15. Wow, that's a lot more. You know, (laughs) I I mean, that's very different. You know, I, I, I think for me, it's that high because I, I have a history of uh, quite a few concussions, <laughs> uh, which again, we, 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 we know uh, just from surveys and observational studies that brain damage uh, or people with uh, certain types of brain damage, it, it means that they, they, they're going to need more of these substances and more of these substances in order for them to work. But we don't exactly know, you know, how much <laughs> brain damage it were, you know, and I'm, and I'm really thinking about athletes at this point, you know, boxers, MMA fighters, things of that nature, you know, how, how, how the, how the brain, again, I, I love the brain, love the brain, but how, how the brain uh, works and how the, how different brain types and how different um, brain injuries affect uh, your psychedelic experience. We, we, we have ideas, but we don't really know uh, to the point where someone who has never taken a psychedelic, who wants to go through a psychedelic experience for mental health, what exactly to give them? It's still a little bit of a guessing game. I want to take the guess out of it. So we could help. I mean, I, I, I think that's the holy grail as it were. If we can take that guessing game out and be able to say, you, you know, Joe, Schmo, whoever, you are a six foot two, 300 pound, you know, beast of a person and you want to take psychedelics. That's the technical term, a beast of a person. That's the... A beast of a person, (laughs) right? I'm not... I, I mean... I, I know just, just from being in the position I'm in, I'm not, I'm not going to give that person five grams. Uh, but I would love to be able to tell that person, hey, you probably need 10 <laughs> to, you know, to, to feel something. But consequently, someone who is, you know, maybe 115, 120 pounds, and, and they know that they're very sensitive to, med- to medicines, you know, natural or otherwise, they're just really sensitive. Five grams might be too much. One of my goals in being in this industry is being able to tell those people, hey, beast of a man, you actually need 11.25 grams. And you need to be in this set, or you need to have this set, or this intention, or this type of intention, and you need to be in this type of setting to have the type of experience that will help you get over this trauma that you are trying to get through. Or to that person who is very sensitive, hey, maybe you only need three grams with this intent in this setting to have the type of breakthrough that you need. I want to be able to quantitatively tell those people how to take these medicines so they can successfully have the breakthroughs that they're looking for without or greatly minimizing the risk of having what is called a a quote-unquote bad trip, as it were. How might one measure the ineffable? The psychedelic experience is so personal and so mystical. When you say, I want to know the dose, 
for this particular individual to work through that trauma they want to work through. That seems like such a specific and such a qualitatively unique experience working through that trauma with so many variables, the nature of the trauma itself, where that person is with their spiritual and personal development up until that point. It seems like ultimately it would be extremely hard to get clean quantitative data to say that, you know, in this instance, it's always going to be 11.2 grams because the cases are so unique. So, so how are you going about trying to capture actionable data for that? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, you know, it, it is a very personal experience. And, you know, it, there'll never be a, at least I don't think there'll ever be like an exact number, you know. Oconi, you're trying to get over the uh, traumas of growing up as a black man in America. You need to take 6.258 grams of psilocybin or magic mushrooms at five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know, at a particular, you know, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it is going to be a, a, a personal thing, but, you know, just like uh, taking uh, two Tylenol every six to eight hours, right? We, we, can, we can find a, a range, a comfortable range where we can lower the risk of not getting people to the place where they need to be to have the type of experience that is required for breakthroughs like the ones that I've had. And, and, and that's really the point. And, and how we collect that data with all of the different variables is collecting a lot of data. And, and thankfully, there's a lot of data out there. Data from people submitting, you know, their, their own trip reports on Arrowhead, you know, <laughs> data from, you know, medical and educational research studies like those uh, conducted over at Johns Hopkins and their brand spanking new multi-million dollar uh, psilocybin research center that they have there. You know, we need to collect so much data and analyze the data that we, the mounds, the years that decades, centuries of data that we have of, of people using uh, these substances. And, and, I, and I think through pro proper analysis of that data and the continuation of collecting that data, the expansion of our ability to properly test different types of people, different types of intentions, different types of settings, we can get there. We can get there. There, there are not... The number of variables that are there, I, I do not believe, preclude us from finding a, a, an answer for people that could help guide them to where they need to be, if, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and, it's, and it sounds like ultimately when you're talking about psychedelic medicine and healing, no matter how much data you have, no matter how much support you have, you really need that lived experience as a psychologist, as a healer, understanding really what people are going through because you've had these experiences of sitting with different people and supporting them and, and helping them. And so I think the data is one piece and then also the experience of the psychedelic practitioner is another piece too, which is why the training is so important and just the just the raw experience. Um, we had Tony Moss, who is an ayahuasca facilitator on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, and he spoke about how there's this wonderful system of, of apprenticeship within the ayahuasca community where people are, are helping the, the main facilitator serve over many, many years and they're seeing ceremony after ceremony so that they're able to understand how to manage the room. And so I think ultimately when it comes to psychedelic healing, we're really going to need both. The more data we get, the more that we can understand, okay, what are the medical contraindications of these different compounds with each other? What are the risks of, say, the MAO inhibitor in ayahuasca with St. John's wort or 5-HTP or different things that affect serotonin? To actually know what these things are is going to be enormously helpful. I personally don't think that we're ever going to get to a place where psychedelic medicine is more science than art. I think it's always going to be a balance. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I know I just spoke about the, the personal experience, but there, to your point, is the flip side to that is 
all of the data that we could collect to help these practitioners properly guide the people they're trying to help uh, and giving them all of the tools and all of the knowledge possible to help guide their art, as it were. Mm. And I feel that Maya specifically is in a, a very unique position to be able to help all of these practitioners through the studying of these medicines uh, using data technology to give you know to to give them every single possible insight into what could be happening in every single moment for the people they're trying to help and how they use that is part of the art but there will be a balance there will never be a exact number of or exact amount for a certain person for a certain time but if we can help give a range help a practitioner you know uh, help that that uh, intuition that a practitioner already um has we we can lower maybe that barrier of entry as it were and, and you know there there are there's a great need for even more practitioners out there right now and helping them do their jobs is is something that i am also extremely passionate about we're having this conversation during a very poignant cultural moment in terms of our society here in the us and there's a lot of trauma right now especially for the black community and for all of us in just witnessing such profound injustice. And that injustice needs deep healing in so many ways. I mean, society itself must change. And there's also a, there's also a piece of, of healing trauma. Considering our listeners are psychedelic therapists, healers, and, and many of them perhaps in spiritual white communities that have some unconscious bias what would your suggestions be to psychedelic practitioners in terms of working with people of color, particularly members of the black community, to support in healing some of the trauma that, that they're experiencing right now? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. First, I, I would say, I, I, would, I, would, I would maybe leave the spirituality aspect for a later conversation. I, I wouldn't begin with that. Mm. I, I would begin purely from a place of wanting to help your mental mind state, to help improve your mental mind state, to heal your mental mind state, to heal, to heal you know, trauma that we've brought with us that's in our DNA, as it were, from hundreds of years of oppression, hundreds of years of hate and trauma that's been put, that, I mean, that has been put on you. I would, I would take it from that approach and, and leave any of the ritualistic or ceremonial things as, as, as more of, uh, you know, for, for, for a later date, because I, I think that approaching it from, uh, approaching that question from a place of spirituality first, I feel, again, would make people defensive. Mm. Oh, you're, you're trying to change the way I see God and you, I mean, that, that, that would be, I mean, no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, no, that, that just will not work. So uh, using the, uh, taking the approach of, I just want to help. And I know that from not only my personal experience, but from all of these different people that I've helped in the past, that these medicines can help your mind look at 
past traumas and past situations in a, in a different light. And they can enhance your own sense of identity, your own sense of spirituality. And start the conversation from there. I just feel that taking the approach of, or even mentioning the greater spiritual sights or experiences that you can have uh, during the psychedelic experience could deter people from even trying them and and make the conversation essentially a a non-starter. You know, I'm actually feeling like a, a weaving of a couple threads of this conversation together in this moment. One of the things that I think we have in the psychedelic community is uh, a fair amount of superstition and woo-woo and, um, <laughs> and, and these are barriers to entry too. And so by bringing more data points to the table to actually say, well, you know, this may or may not, quote, occasion a mystic experience, but what it, we know it does is it reduces suicidal ideation for a period of, of five to six weeks. So when we have these, when, when it really is framed through the lens of science, I think that that can kind of help with people who are like, yeah, I don't want the feathers and the incense and like, mm-hmm. I, that's not me, I don't want that. But what I do want is clarity of mind and I really want some healing for this anxiety, for this depression, for this PTSD. And so... Yeah, I think that having these really tangible data points from from verifiable, replicable studies, I think actually is going to lower the barrier for a lot of people to be able to receive this healing through psychedelic medicine. Mm, agreed, agreed. And you know, I, I I love the the balance between science and spirituality that I've found through this journey that I've been on. And yeah, you know, waking people up to the idea that there are different ways to different ways to explore your spirituality and different ways to heal yourself mm. uh, in a mindful way. Just mm. Sorry, I kind of went on the tangent there, but that that's all good. Just, yeah, I I just I just know that this can help so many people, Amen. <laughs> that's why we're and, doing uh, it. That's why yeah, we're both here. Yeah, I know that. that that's that, why we're that is here. exactly why we're here. That is exactly why we're here. And yeah, yeah, I I I know that through science and through technology, we can expose different ways of having these conversations with people and to your point, lower that barrier of entry. So it's more approachable. Mm. Well, and, and something I, that's beautiful about, we, we, you know, we started this conversation talking about this awakening journey that mm. involved psychedelics and involved changing your name. And one of the things that it involves is the desire for service, the desire to help mm. other people, the desire to share and I see that so much in in what you're doing here and the mindfulness that you have about what really is approachable, what really is helpful, what really is of service. And so it's that in the same way that you're talking about the spiritual and the scientific, in you, I see this unbounded love. I want to I share it. I want to help. And, well, I know that's not going to help, so I'm going tr- to work on it this way. And that marriage of the two, I think, is is indispensable in in the psychedelic movement. I mean, we we really must have this 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 sweeping oceanic love, this oneness of all things, this feeling like all I want to do is share. And then we need the data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I can't just tell you that um, you know, that something is hot you know, or that, or what's a better example? You know, I, I, I can't just tell you that, uh, you know, one plus one equals two. At least it, my teacher couldn't tell, just tell me that. I'm like, well, how do you know that? You know, give me some proof. I need proof that this is all, you know, this is all make-believe. This one and this one and this two. I need proof. 
I, I really had a hard time with math until I hit calculus and I was actually shown how one plus one equals two. And I know I'm probably talking way over the head of a lot of people now, but Especially um, with one plus one equals two. I mean, I think we're not there. <laughs> yeah, that, who are you to question that one plus one equals two? But that, 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 that's, the, that's the scientist in me. That, I mean, that, that's the engineer in me. I question everything. And finding, finding those ways of answering those questions has always been a driving force for me. Mm. Uh, so when it comes to psychedelics, Answering those big questions, you know, about existence and identity, of, of course, so that, that for me was part of it. But also answering those questions of, you know, how safe is this? Mm. Prove to me that this is safe. Mm. Yeah, the Prove safety to piece. me. Mm. Prove to me that taking 20 grams of psilocybin won't kill me, <laughs> which it won't. It absolutely won't. We know this. I know this for a fact, <laughs> personally. But yeah, you know, like prove to me, show me the data, show it to me. Mm. You know, it, that, and you know, the safety piece I know is, a, is another huge topic uh, that we could probably spend an entire hour on by itself. But yeah, you know, I, I, I really feel that, you know, this, this journey that we all are on and this interconnectedness, you know, is part of the the art piece of it all. Because mm. you know, you're you're some of my most, for example, some of my most powerful psychedelic experiences had absolutely no visuals at all. Mm. None. I I have yet to experience any visuals when taking ayahuasca. Mm. But I've had my most powerful experiences with Aya, sitting with grandmother. Mm. So, you know, uh, being able to, you know, marry those, those two um, maybe opposite ideas that something has to be spiritual or something for, for something to give you a, a spiritual uh, awakening or something has to be quantitatively known precisely in order for you to be able to properly or safely take something. You know, again, it's going to be a marriage, a marriage of both. It's going to be a a little bit of, a little bit of science, a little bit of art, Mm. Uh, but data at the end of the day can help both the science and the art can help the research, help us find even greater insights in research that has been done or should be done in the future. And it can also help the practitioners, the artists that are guiding these people through these experiences to have the best experience that they possibly can. And I think that's what's so much fun about where I sit specifically. So I get to play with both. Mm. I love that. And you know, that that really feels like a good place to land today, this beautiful marriage of science and art. Um, at the end of each podcast, there's always one final question. And we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but in a more general way. I always like to end with giving my guest on the show an opportunity to speak directly to psychedelic healers and practitioners. So for those folks who are listening to this show who are either healers at this stage or aspiring to be psychedelic therapists, the type of people who would end up using the Maya software, the type of people who you're building a product for, what <laughs> would if you could speak directly to, to them, what would you say? First, I would say thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, Thank you for helping the people that you help. Thank you for having the awareness that um, mm, sorry, just got a little emotional there. Um, Thank you for 
just just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I, I would not be here today the way I am uh, without healers like yourselves. And I am so grateful for it. So grateful. Second, I, I would say is look out for Maya coming soon. <laughs> look out for our software coming soon. Uh, uh, you know, we, we really want to help you help others as best as possible. We're going to start off doing that through giving you the tools to take away the, the things that can be automated, the mundane things, the, you know, the, uh, hey, have you followed your diet today? Or, you know, the, the, those things, you know, we, we, we want to help you keep in contact with the people you're trying to help in safe and secure ways. And, you know, uh, that safety and security piece is core uh, to everything that we're doing. Second, through education and by creating a way that new practitioners, aspiring practitioners can safely, given the times that we're in, safety sometimes meaning from a distance, being able to create a space where you can safely learn the teachings that you need uh, in order to help the people that you want to help. And third, you know, we really want to be able to give the communities that are built through these experiences a safe space online to be able to talk and communicate to each other without fear about their experience, about what they've been through, what they're going through. I know we haven't talked much about integration, but integration is almost as important as taking the medicine itself. I would say equally it's important how you take that experience and bring it into your day-to-day life and giving the greater psychedelic community a, a place to be able to safely and securely share those thoughts and those ideas, those very deep and intimate thoughts and ideas. And for practitioners out there to have a better way than, you know, maybe a a signal chat to keep in contact with the people that they help. Because that, that, those little check-ins are important to ensure that the people that you're helping are, are successfully integrating their experiences. And, and that, that I know is, it's so important too. And, and yeah, just thank you. Thank you to all of those practitioners out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm. And thank you, Akoni. Thank you for coming on the show. And um, obviously I'm a little biased uh, towards Maya because I've chosen to <laughs> throw, throw my lot in with, with y'all because I really believe in, in what's happening with Maya and that's why we launched this podcast. So uh, yeah, I really appreciate you being open and vulnerable and um, I just love how much passion and how much heart you have behind the work that you're doing and it's just been a it's just been a real joy to get to know you better during this conversation so thanks for coming on the show thank you Eamon. i'm so happy to have you as part of the team uh, you are amazing at your job uh, oh hu- oh hush and- this is public Shh. <laughs> <laughs> you know well well thank you thank you <laughs> And yeah, I, I, am, I am just really grateful to have people like you uh, on our team helping us help the helpers. Help and help the helpers. Help and help the helpers is a good vibe. It's a good vibe. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Akoni. And yeah, look forward to all the things that we're building. And um, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please join the Psychedelic Therapy Facebook group to talk about it. You can also share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover the show. The Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is presented by Maya, 
a platform designed to help psychedelic therapists manage and measure client journeys. You can head to myhealth.com to learn more. The show is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.